bragged at two girls, one cup. You cringed at two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. Now it's time to get uncomfortable with Two Nobodies, One Podcast. This is Here's My Movie. Here's my movie! Oh, that was the best one yet. Good timing. Hello and welcome to episode eight of Here's My Movie. My name is Katie. And I'm Nate. And we'd like to thank you for joining us after a short hiatus. Uh, I know that we did promise weekly in the last episode. However, sickness befell both of us once again this winter. Um, So that was just really fucking annoying, to be perfectly honest with you. Pretty hard to do a podcast when you can't talk. Well, you might notice coughing in the background. That's still me. But I think, yeah, we've kind of been waiting longer than we would have liked to record this, but it's purely been dependent on my voice and before that, Katie's voice. So, (laughs) yeah, uh, it was talking for no more than a couple of minutes without coughing fits. Mm. So hopefully we can keep that down to a, a throat clear. And by we, I mean me. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I'm the, uh, the typhoid Mary of the piece. Uh, came back from Europe. I made you sick. Uh, I got another cold from work, passed that straight on, made you sick also. And then again, a third time this winter. Yeah. Um, three for three. Yeah. So it's pretty hard for me to get sick though, unless Pat, the cat makes me sick. Mm. So I work from home. I, don't really go out much outside of going to the post office or whatever down the road. So I'm not really around people. That sounds them to make me sick. Really sad, man. No, it's fine. It's fine. What what is bad is that you have an amazing immune system, despite <laughs> what you've just said. So Katie's yeah, it's, like, it's actually highly unusual for me to be as ill as often as I have been. So for Katie, it's like a three day cold, and for me, I'm I've never had anything less than a week. Co- like weeks cold? I don't know. What is this mysterious? What is it? The 48 hour cold? Yeah. Oh, it's just a 48 hour cold. I'm like, no, no, it's not. Yeah. But I mean, we're now in a position where we can join you all again. And to be honest, I'm pretty excited about these episodes. We're doing a bit of a Liam Neeson special for the next two. Duology. Yeah. Word? Uh, so we're only covering one film per episode, but the next two will be <laughs> Liam Neeson films. Um, and, you know, it's – I love a, a Liam Neeson action film usually. Um, so I, what do you – how do you feel about his movies in particular? Well, sort of a very recent thing, isn't it? I was watching, I think, one of those Looper videos where insert any clickbait thought you've had here and they've made a video about it. Mm. Um <clears throat> And I don't know why I watch this one, probably because we're doing a Liam Neeson-a-thon. Uh, and there was one on him doing Taken, and he was convinced that Taken was going to be straight to DVD. The reason he took the role, though, was because he thought, I'm never going to get a shot at doing an action movie. Everyone sees me as the, the serious drama guy. You know? mm. um, and outside of what? Star Wars Episode One, where he's in all of one movie, uh, unless you count his voice, then... He hasn't really done anything outside of that kind of serious drama role. So he was getting a bit long in the tooth and he wanted to take an action role, which was Taken, which obviously blew up. Mm, so um, he, he took Taken. He took Taken and was quite taken 
by Taken's success. When he took it. That he took two more Taken films. <laughs> and I really wish that he had just taken the money and run and not taken those two Taken films because the sequels, I didn't even finish the second one. He took to Taken like a duck to water. Well, I think I've already figured out the title for this one. <laughs> That's a tongue twister for you, Taken except, fans. Except, spoilers, uh, we're not actually doing Taken. <gasps> What? Really? No. I've got my notes on. Oh, Not really, though. You're going to be woefully unprepared, my friend. But, yeah, Taken 2 couldn't finish. Just couldn't get through. Like, And this is in a time when I I felt like like a bad meal that I had to finish it. Because, you know, there are kids in Africa who don't have Taken 2 or you know, <laughs> insert whatever thing here. Uh, They've suffered enough. <laughs> in this instance. <laughs> So I just turned it off and it was an odd thing for me at the time and I never went back to it. Um, I didn't feel incomplete for having not completed Taken 2. And then I watched Taken 3 and I think this was where they decided they were going to try to do like the lower rating, you know, the more accessible revenge movie. Mm. And it was a turd. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I actually haven't seen Taken 2. Good. Did Maybe say, we have to watch it. Is there a third one? There is. There is, and he's yeah. in that, right? That's what I was saying. That was yeah. the uh, the lower rating one, Taken 3. They were like, oh, maybe Taken yeah, 2. Yeah, but I, I wondered if he appeared as like a Taken Force ghost or something in 3, you know, where it's just he 30 seconds of dialogue and he's not actually really in it, in it, but he, he stars was, in all three. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, great, it's great. Taken trilogy. Fantastic. And they made a TV show out of, out of it <laughs> without him. Um, there are only so many things that can be taken. But what it led to, I mean, the reason that I bring Taken Up is because it led to this idea of Liam Neeson, the action hero. Yep. And then he's done things like, what was it? I want to say nonstop. Was that one or was that the, was that the train one with someone else? Anyways, he was in a plane movie mm. as an action hero, but it was more sort of deducing than action star stuff, but they still were banking on that if you watch the trailers. And then he did one in a train. Mm which is kind of more of the same, but again, banking on the action thing and you've got to get your action beats in there because it's Liam Neeson, the action star. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of anything. I mean, the grey. Mm-hmm. Pause and consider for a second. Um, so I feel like he's. it's funny because he's worried that he was typecast <laughs> as a serious drama guy and then he's gone and become typecast as an action guy. As old Avenger action and action. He's man. aged incredibly well though. He has, yeah. He's 60s now, isn't he? Oh, probably. Still yeah. believably kicking ass? Yeah. Yeah. I like him as an action hero. Like, yeah. There's nothing wrong with um, with how he, he does things. But uh, I will say that, yeah, as we've established with the Taken trilogy, not every film's a winner, but I always look forward to watching them because they are fun to dissect. The action movies. Yes. Right. I was going to say, you watch one Taken movie. <laughs> uh, no, I mean all of them. All the action, but that's what I mean. Like, yeah, he proved that he had the chops as an action star in the original Taken. So from that, it's not his fault if the script's terrible, which I'd say was more the problem. And they were, they were cash grabbing. It's like the transporter. I'm yeah, pretty sure Luc Besson was involved in both. Um, and it's this idea of he creates a kind of cool first one that you like, and then they're like, let's uh, let's Disney this shit. Let's let's wring the neck of this thing until all of its dimes have fallen out of its ass. And uh, that's it. It's dead. And we'll make it a TV show maybe. Did they make Transport a TV show? They did. Yeah. Oh, my God. I never watched that either. No? No. I mean, again, Transporter, the first movie, bit of goofy fun. Transporter 2 was definitely a movie. And I think I saw the third one and I don't remember 
at all, any parts of them, I don't think, except for the first one. Maybe a little bit of the second one where he does a flip in a car and gets a bomb off the bottom of his car, unless that was the third one. Who knows? But Statham was like pretty quickly went sideways to become an action hero, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He was lock, stock, and snatch where it was less action hero, more just like gruff gangster. Mm-hmm. And then he immediately went to action after that, I feel. And it wasn't yeah. like this, what? Jason Statham in an action movie? It was sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. No, I, I find that, I mean, he was very believable in, like, uh, like to, to, to make that transition. Like, he, he, he definitely looks like an action hero. He's sort of our replacement Bruce Willis, I guess, like the... Ex-Olympic swimmer. No, yeah. diver, wasn't it? He I was think he was a diver, diver yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I don't enjoy his films as much. I don't know. It's like he sort of gets the, the leftovers when... Like Mark Wahlberg and um, everyone else has kind of passed on stuff. Yeah. Like, he, I, I get that impression. Um, he is definitely punching at the higher grade of B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> remember, remember that car one? Are we talking about the transporter? Is it that? Yeah. Well, he's the driver, but he's also a driver who knows kung fu. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, no. And then I think there's, an, isn't there an, there's another. Like car centric one that he's in. Fast and the Furious. Is he in that? He comes into that later. It's definitely a car centric one. Is it? No. Or, <laughs> I don't think he. No, no. I, I wouldn't associate Crank with cars because that's more like he has to keep his adrenaline going, so he runs or he fucks or he burns himself. I think that's what I'm getting. You're confused. thinking of a car in that one. <laughs> I think it's Crank, like because I think of like the crankshaft. Yes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> thanks for working out my own brain for me. That's all right. That's what we're here to do. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be dead air for 30 seconds while we sit here and contemplate. Well, yeah. All right, go. Let me look that up on the internet. Um, I've, uh, I'm not looking anything up. Sometimes I'll get facts wrong. Sometimes I will give you the Mandela effect of, hey, didn't that happen? And everyone will go, absolutely, yeah, it don't did. Don't check your phone. And then you'll look at Wikipedia and go, there, Katie's a fucking liar. I hope that happens. It yeah. will happen. Expect it. Subtitle of Here's My Movie is actually citation needed. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're not live checking much. No. Nah. Occasionally we'll bring up a cheeky IMDb in the background if we're struggling too, <laughs> for too long on someone's name. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something similar. Notes on the phone, full disclosure. Sometimes I didn't take any. I, you know, I did. Oh, I, Refamiliarized no. myself with my my notes from the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I did take some at the time, but you know, that's it. But that's it. That's it. Whatever. I don't care. Which I guess kind of leads to what we're going to be talking about today, right? Mm-hmm. Which is Cold Pursuit. That's right. A remake of a not English language movie. I was going to say Danish or something, but I don't know. No, I think it is Danish. And interestingly. Um, the the original was called In Order of Disappearance. Yeah. And it's the same director as Cole Pursuit. Which was interesting, so right? So he, he directed the original and also this. So he's essentially done the same film twice, but for two different audiences, locations and languages. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how uncommon that is. Maybe it's not that uncommon. I know, like, they've gotten the writers to rewrite the script or to change it for a different audience i'm thinking of uh a death death at a funeral is that was that the movie the, that had the english version that was really funny and then they did the american version they did mostly the same jokes 
um, but kind of with that American style yeah. comedy. And then I think they added some scat jokes. Um, but yeah, I think they got the original writer to kind of rewrite. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm used to hearing about, but I'm not sure about directors. Maybe it's more common. I don't know. Write in and tell us. <laughs> yes, yeah, good time to remind you that you can leave us a voice message that we can then play on the podcast. If you go to anchor.fm forward slash here's my movie, super easy to leave a voice message from your phone, actually, um, or any other device. You can get really creative with it. What an organic plug. We should start a YouTube channel. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of YouTube uh videos on on movies because <clears throat> you know there are some genuinely great content creators and as i guess as more uh, more and more people start to listen to us and engage with us uh as the person in charge of social i have a, a very easy job right now which is post an episode uh but i'm going to be starting to engage with more content and the the videos that we talk about or the content that we talk about will start to feed onto social and we can have a chat about it mm -hmm. but what i found and i was, I was showing to katie the other day is that even the best of the best, and I, I am, give the disclaimer of I'm fully aware and respect to those uh, corporate corporate realities, uh, more like- you, Commercial realities. Commercial realities, thank yeah. you, yeah. You've got you to make a buck, I get that. So I, un, I understand that there's ads and things like that. I mean, we have YouTube Red or whatever it's called these days. Mm. I don't know if it's even called that. RedTube, I think it's called. Yeah, RedTube. I think uh, <laughs> someone got very, very fired when they were like, we're calling it YouTube Red. You mean yeah. RedTube for short? Like, oh dear. <laughs> uh, whatever that's called now, we have that. So we don't get ads on YouTube as long as we're logged in, like, as in yep. ads that get chalked onto the front. Um, if you don't have an ad blocker, you're weird. But I guess if you were watching it on your phone or whatever, you get an ad. Mm -hmm. Anyways, to get around that or because of that, I'm not sure which, Content creators now will include ads or plugs, mm -hmm. which it's fine if it's up front. Yeah. And as in it's front loaded and they're like, hey, this video today is brought to you by so-and-so. Mm. Go check them out. There's a link in the description. Moving on with the real content. Or if it's at the end, even better, but I'm sure advertisers don't like that so much because people probably get wise and back out. Yep. But what I've found is that these these genuinely good like they create great content and then you get to the end and they're like, you know what? Speaking of Liam Neeson, um, there's a cricketer called Jimmy Neeson. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm here today to tell you that without Jimmy Neeson's amazing knock in the Cricket World Cup, we wouldn't have this channel. So buy Jimmy Neeson's mustache wax. Yeah. <laughs> And it like actually that was probably more organic than some of them to be fair, but there's this tenuous yeah it's pretty thing bad where yeah. where you can almost tell that the passion and the energy is gone and they're trying to fake it mm -hmm. and they're trying to make it sound like it's this organic part of and you're like well that makes sense and you know what sometimes it does make sense hey I'm talking to you about screenwriting I've got a promotion on screenwriting software great that yeah, like, is a match made in heaven and you know. There'd be tons of people on popular channels that are looking for a product to, you know, write their own screenplay or something yeah. like that. So the thirty percent, the thirty percent off discount is fine for that audience. Absolutely. But, but um, yeah, I've seen some really like long bows drawn in what was terms. What we were of watching the, recently with the the curated movie thing. Oh, movie, movie. It sounds like a plug now. And the guy with the uh, the very grating voice, and he's like. If you like this movie or like other movies, 
You should download oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. com. Like, yeah, it was really. And he creates really good content. He, he's amazing. <laughs> like, he is. Yeah, he's he's incredible. But he knows his stuff. Very mm-hmm. insightful. Yeah, and I, I enjoy his videos very much. But the end was this ad for a curated, a, a, a curated subscription service. So, which, to my knowledge, did not include the movie that he talked about. No, it didn't. Probably not at any point. And it changes every month. Yep. So why have Netflix or Stan or YouTube or Amazon or whatever streaming service you have with a massive library instead pay a certain amount of money and we will curate the movies that you should watch? Yep. Like that sounds bad. Mm-hmm. It sounds I don't want to pay someone to for them to tell me what movies to watch. We've got a, protect, a potential uh, tech hazard in the making. Should mention that. Hopefully this, I mean, this might sound better. I hope so. Um, yeah, we, we've done a bit of an, an equipment upgrade that is of keen interest to the animal in the house. Yes, the mascot. Young Patrick has decided that this thing that has not been seen, licked, battered at, scratched upon. Hasn't had his anus spread on it. Has not rubbed his tail on it accidentally yeah. to bump some setting. Um, <clears throat> he's now very interested in and he's sniffing it. So if we suddenly stop recording, I guess you won't hear the rest. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Um, yeah. I. <laughs> we're rolling. We, we, yeah, no, I know. We've talked about the Patrick interruptions. Well, we have, but they're not, they they didn't really, we talked about how wonderfully patient and behaved he was. And how now. surprised we were that he had not yet. Yeah. Okay. So he's dangling his fat head precariously over the sound, the automated sound buttons that we have, that it's a, a brand new feature of this, uh, this new recording deck that we have. Um, so if his fat head actually lays on one of the buttons, there's going to be a sound interruption. Oh, no, and he's, he's hovering over the record button now, of course. I think yeah. the interesting thing is he's, he's very interested in the moving uh, audio spikes to indicate when one of us... Yeah, is the levelling, yeah. And so he's looking at that going, hey, why is that moving? Mm, and, of yeah. course, to make him stop looking at that, we'd have to stop talking. Which we can't do. Which we can't do. The show must go on. I mean, we're not going out <laughs> live, but this is a one-take show. I don't know if you've noticed that. All the ums, ahs, fucks, coughs, and me saying uh, corporate realities instead of commercial realities. Uh, it comes it's straight the same to you. thing. It's the same. Well, it's all the same shit, isn't it? Corporate realities makes it sound like you're like a business person, you know, coming in and going, we've got to think about the corporate realities, which yeah, could yeah. mean anything from money to, I don't know, wearing a suit to work. Just remember, buy low. Sell high. Words to live by. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I've got that. That's my family motto tattooed on my chest in Latin. Ah, nice. In reverse, so oh. I can see in the mirror. <laughs> I can't no, read Latin, though. No rugrats. No, rag, no rugrats. <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, so on that, that curated movie streaming thing. Movie. Uh, movie, yeah. Uh, We're not promoting it. <laughs> I'm not, not promoting it and haven't used it, and I don't even know if I understand it correctly, so probably not the best way to start this particular point but it it, it sounds as though you're paying for a, a, a cure like because it's a, a, a movie a day or something so you kind of have to commit yourself to watching a movie every single day it sounds like free-to-air tv yeah yeah um that you don't choose yourself it's they're, they're curated for you and i have no doubt that there's a lot of amazing movies that are included in that 30 per month or whatever that you're essentially committing to watching a movie a night without fail to get the maximum out of the subscription and you're essentially paying for 
someone else's taste in movies to become your own. Yeah, which is interesting <laughs> so. because we've been watching Seinfeld recently and it's obviously set at a time when you go to the video store Yeah, and they go. there's one particular episode where they go to a video store and, and they're talking about their tastes as it aligns with whatever staff member's recommendation on the wall. Uh, won't say how that episode plays out. It's very funny. It is great. But that idea of like, you know, taste and recommendations and when mm. someone says to you, my God, you've got amazing movie taste, which of course we hear all the time. Uh, <laughs> what they're really saying is, my God, your taste aligns with mine. Exactly, yeah. Which is fine, as long as everyone's aware of that. But it's also really hard, you know, um, just because you get along with someone and perhaps your tastes are comparable in, say, music, sports, whatever, does not necessarily mean that that person is can make good movie recommendations or good TV show recommendations or books or comics or whatever. Mm. And it often, I find falling into that trap is that I get surprised when I'm like, hey, did you watch this? And someone's like, that's garbage. I'm like, I loved it. Yeah. And then I'm like, why don't they like it? I'm like, oh, right. We're, we're not really uh, the kind of people that make movie recommendations and go, yeah, yeah, you're right. You absolutely nailed it. I love that movie. Yeah. I didn't think I would and you told me I should watch it and I did. And there's this only a select few people who if – like if they recommend a movie, I will watch it. Yeah. Or TV show. And, and I would hope it's the same for me, to be honest. Um, I'll make a recommendation. I don't really care if you don't, if someone doesn't watch it. If they go on about how they love certain things and I'm like, well, this is basically the same and or, or it sounds like it's in your wheelhouse and they're like, I don't have anything to watch, then I'll probably come down hard on them. Yep. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. No, no. And uh, people get very offended, I think, Sometimes if you're uh, if you're like, yeah, no, it wasn't sort of my thing. Like I, I try to be mindful these days more so than, you know, when I was younger, when I'd just be like, that's a piece of shit. Um, I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not really my thing. Um, and that we, we have a, a couple of movies on our, our list to watch where, um, you know, I thought it was Eagle versus Shark was one of them. And I'm like, fuck, yeah, let's do that one. And it's I realized very quickly that it's some sort of indie romance film and I thought it was actually an eagle and a shark fighting <laughs> and I was like Liam Neeson is the yeah, eagle Jason but, Statham is the shark yeah. I'd watch that movie or it was gonna be like the eagle who was like a former navy seal with an axe to grind and <laughs> the shark well actually he should be the shark maybe and then the eagle is like you know, military police that are after him or something like that, you know. And Iron like, Eagle from the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I thought it was going to be something like that, and I'm like, that sounds amazing, let's do that. Or even if it was just like a total, like, Sharknado level yeah. piece of shit yeah. of an actual eagle and an actual shark battling it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like, what eagles do, right? And then, a, and then I looked at the cover and it was just like two 20-somethings, like, being whim like with whimsy, and I'm just like, oh fuck Not this. Not whimsy. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, prob <laughs> it's probably a great movie, and I will watch it eventually. But it's not high on the priority if it's not battling animals or men with an axe to grind. For those familiar with, the or or women, okay. or a man and a woman, great. whatever. No, keep just going. I'll stuff, wait. you know, like action. Like and and it, and it needs to be like a little bit shitty. Bam! Like yeah. Like, Pow! <laughs> yeah. And you know I can tell I could, like there's a collective groan that's just gone out with whoever's listening to this right now and they're like oh yeah, I'm a fucking idiot. But you know what? <laughs> 
but whatever, you know, because it makes for, for good conversation, I feel. Like more than getting into the ins and outs of that's how I felt when I first fell in love. Like I, I don't care for those conversations. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm learning things about Katie as you're learning things about Katie. Uh, and for those who this is your first episode, I feel like you've gotten to a potential spoiler for when we get around to doing that movie. I feel like we've already heard what Katie's movie would be for Eagle vs. Shark. And you know what? I really want to hear more about that movie because that oh, sounds no, no, amazing. It doesn't. It's But it's meant to be like deliberately shitty. And that's kind of why I want to do Troll 2 as well because it's impossible to set out deliberately to make a film that turns out as bad as Troll 2. And that's a whole other conversation. But, yeah. So I, I enjoy things that can be discussed heartily like that that have really cheesy, stupid moments. That's going to have a good title too. Yeah. Because one of my biggest problems, or my biggest problem with, uh, actually that's fair. Let's go back to my one of my biggest problems with Pacific Rim is the name. It's a terrible fucking name. If it was called Robots versus Kaiju or, you know, Godzilla versus 20 foot tall, not 20 foot, 20 story tall. Or Charlie Hunnam versus acting. <clears throat> no, I don't think anyone would watch that though. He we has- know who wins. <laughs> And yes, I've seen Sons of Anarchy, and yes, that's his shining light. And I've seen Queer as Folk as well, and he's all right in that. Carrying a feature film, he cannot at this we point We were talking in his about career. him recently, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah. He has the charisma of a bowl of granola. But the biggest pro- like In uh, feature film. That movie, yeah, the title. I can't- No. Nah. For people who don't watch trailers, who don't know about movies, you hear Pacific Rim and it doesn't mean anything. It's like why John Carter of Mars- is a massive failure with the title because it originally was called, the movie was called John Carter of Mars. Yeah. And they decided to shorten it to John Carter, which sounds like a fucking Jane Austen period piece, which is fine. Well, that or a real estate agent. But like for that audience, right? Yeah. When someone says to you, if without knowing anything about it, I've got a movie, it's called John Carter. What do you think it's about? You're like, I don't know, it's Prospector. (laughs) prospecting problems. I mean, you could technically apply the the same thing to John Wick, but John Wick sounds like kind of like an action hero name. Yeah. More than John Carter, which sounds like an everyman, you know, like a John, it might as well be John Smith, Mm. the obvious Nazi spy. Yeah. Now I want to watch that movie. There you go. You've heard my spoilers for when we do John Carter. Um, John Carter, yeah, I really liked it. So that would so it'd be it'd be really interesting to to dissect that one. And I kind of want to look at um, other like top tier reviews for that one as well because I know it was sort of panned by a lot of big name reviewers. Um, and I'd like to know what the issue was because I think it was more of a promotional issue than it was, was the actual fun. quality of the film. But it was also, you know, educational aspect. The problem of um, making a movie out of a sci-fi story from, whether well, not like the nineteenth century or the early twentieth century, one of the two, is that everything that has come since then has either touched on it or ripped it off wholesale. Mm. So you watch it, and you're, as an audience member, you're like going, "Oh, so it's basically just Star Wars." Yeah. Like, well, Star Wars ripped shit off this. So 
or for the layman audience kind of idea, they're thinking, I've seen all this before. Yeah. And for the most part, they have. Mm. And then there's also the science side, you know what I mean? Like we now know that Mars is not like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back then they had no idea. Mm. So therefore it was kind of feasible and with science fiction – I mean, unless it gets ludicrous, there is still this belief because it's got science in the title, the genre, that it is at least somewhat grounded. Um, and so there is, I think there's a lot required of an audience to to suitably disconnect and watch it for the fun movie that it is. Yeah. And it's fun. And this is done by, I want to say, Andrew Stanton, who was one of the Pixar guys, one of the, the parts of the Brains Trust, mm. this core group of uh, people at Pixar that were responsible for either making some of the best Pixar movies or, you know, curating them or whipping some of the stories that could have gone very wrong, like Toy Story 2, uh, apparently behind the scenes was going to be a train wreck that was saved by Stanton and a few other key members basically having a long weekend a year before releasing going, how can we, how can we fix this? How do we save this with so little time? Yeah. And how do we rewrite everything to make it better. Like that's amazing. So you can see why Disney, because I'm pretty sure Disney did John Carter, have trusted this person who I don't think has done live action before, mm. but knows storytelling and structure and characters and what the audience wants to see, understands spectacle in that when you're making an animated Pixar movie, you can do whatever you want. You're oh, limited yeah. by imagination, right? Same with a cartoon. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about the budget of doing a big battle. You just do it. Yeah. I mean, the, probably the art time or the rendering time might take a little bit longer, but you're not dealing with like, well, that's going to be a $50 million sequence, Michael Bay. Mm. Do we really need to have the robot lady, you know, I don't know, spinning around slow-mo and 360 degrees shooting missiles out of her nipples? <laughs> maybe not. Then again, they seem to let him do whatever he wants, so maybe. Yeah, yeah. Why are the Transformers movies more than 90 minutes? I know. Like just purely from a costing perspective. Well, costing and and the audience in, for which it's intended. I mean, that's like there's going to be a fair few kids. There's going to be teens. Like nobody's seeing it for the human characters. No, like Pacific Rim. Yeah. Nobody's going to see it for Charlie Hunnam. And I wonder what this amazing character actor gets up to. It doesn't even matter who you cast. You could yeah. cast an Academy Award winning actor. Nobody is going to see that movie for that angle. Although, yeah. to be fair, when, you know, Guillermo del Toro's name was attached, I actually thought he'd taken a concept of robots versus monsters mm -hmm. and was going to inject a bit more heart and a bit more of an interesting human story. Yeah. Because, you know, you know when you go watch a CG heavy movie that they are ultimately limited. It's why you can go onto YouTube and you can find, um, I think this was when the Transformers trilogy, when it was just a trilogy. I'm not sure if they've updated it since, but some someone cut together all of the Transformers fights from the Transformers movies, mm -hmm. the trilogy at that stage. And I think it was something like 20 or 30 minutes. For the whole lot. Yeah, for fighting. I think you get to see a little bit more of them than that. But really, you, the way that you see the trailers is the big spectacle, the big money shots. You yep. know people are going to watch that. That's certainly why I wanted to go and watch the Transformers movies. Yeah, I thought the first one was going to be just big dumb fun. Mm -hmm. but it turns out I actually really like the first movie. Yeah, it's, it's got some stupid shit yeah. to be sure. But the fact that uh, you can see Steven Spielberg's you know golden touch all over it in the sense that he's found the emotional through line, which is like a, a kid getting his car for the first time. Mm. Um, and make it about that story. And that was like, it sounds so simple, 
But it works really well. Plus Shia, who I think is a great actor and very entertaining and helped to carry that movie. Plus they put in a lot of humour that I wasn't expecting. Mm. So you had all these elements coming together and then you had big badass robots from your childhood who looked better than you could even remember it. Yeah. Because they were shitty animated uh, cartoons that were created to sell more toys. Yeah. So this was not a high-tier Disney-level animation production. This was just to make you go out and buy the next fucking Optimus Prime, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we were going to see it, the Katie's and my knees of this world, whatever. Uh, we're going to see it for that nostalgic hit, and mm. the kids of today were going to see it because it looked like a cool action movie, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure if Transformers are transcendent. I feel like they came back. As opposed to something like Lego, where Lego has existed forever. And it never really left. Yeah, but yeah. like, you know, G.I. Joe was what I played with as a kid. I don't think that's really a thing now. Well, as- well, it is when you watch the uh, dubbed over parody clips as often as we do on YouTube. Oh, my God. We do watch, like, I don't know, I'm not what, sure how many five, times. Five, six thousands times of- a year. Yeah, collectively, <laughs> between our, our immediate group of friends, I feel like we're responsible for hundreds of thousands of views of, of those G.I. <laughs> Joe things. But that's like an example of Hasbro not getting it. And this is before G.I. Joe was made into a movie and, you know, Transformers was made into a movie and all this stuff. Yeah. But those clips pre-existed that. Mm-hmm. And it was, if you haven't seen them, my God, I'll have to put them on social because they are hilarious. And it's basically just a redubbing of select scenes from these G.I. Joe cartoons as a kid, which again were there to sell more G.I. Joe toys that literally ended with a G.I. Joe little PSA at the end of everything. Yeah, and it was like... Super hammy. Don't bully people. Eat your vegetables. Like, be careful of house fires. Like, Yeah, and yeah. They're, they're gelling. They're trying to gel that with the idea that they're selling, like, US military toys that mm. are fighting this make-believe terrorist threat, but you have to buy both to make them fight. Yeah. Which shit is probably would not fly these days. Mm. But, like, the point being that things like that and He-Man and if you haven't seen the toys that made us on Netflix, go watch it. Uh, I even enjoyed the episodes for the toys that I did not collect. Like I didn't collect Star Trek toys, but I love that. I didn't collect He-Man toys, but I love even Barbie and things like well, that. Well, the, the Barbie episode is probably one of the best ones yeah, because absolutely. of the um, intensive drama in the behind the scenes at Mattel in particular. Um, that's a, yeah, it's an incredible documentary series that the actually. backstabbing and the corporate espionage yeah, and yeah, how yeah. blatant they were about it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we knew they were coming and we released a line to bury them. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And they have like rats in the ranks of other businesses that are solely there to spill upcoming trade secrets and yeah, <laughs> things the toy like business that. in the toy business. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. This is not Quentin Tarantino's reimagining of. Something glossy. Nope. This is reality, uh, which I guess makes sense. It's just a business at the end of the day. Yeah, well, people are pieces of shit. So people are doesn't doesn't shit. matter if it's a Barbie doll or a Lego set. Yeah. There will be pieces of shit in the orbit, probably. Which brings us neatly back to Cold Pursuit, because <laughs> so Cold Pursuit. <laughs> it's funny because just to give you a little behind the scenes look at here's my movie. Before we start the episode, I wrote down a like a couple of notes, just structural notes and. You know, whose turn it is to scream, here's my movie, and whose turn it is to da, 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 just little things like that. Um, but I always leave a little room at the beginning after the intro uh, and apologies, which seems to be added 
too frequently lately. Yeah. Uh, for, hey, what do you want to talk about, Katie? Do you want to talk about something else? And Katie's like, no, not really. What about you? And I'm like, uh, I don't think so. We'll just get into Cold Pursuit. And here we are, however many minutes past the intro. <laughs> 35 minutes later. Oh, yeah. we can track it now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we could before. It was just, you know, my old lady eyes couldn't well, quite see the shitty screen on the audio interface we had well. before. I don't, know, I don't know sign language well enough for you to be able to tell me how long we've been going for. So now I can see it. And when you say sign language, do you mean Jerry Seinfeld's autobiography? Jerry Seinfeld language. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's called, sign language, but S-E-I-N. That's the, the, that's the name of his autobiography. What is the deal with amazing autobiography? <laughs> Titles, rather. <laughs> uh, all right, so Cold Pursuit. Warning, warning. This podcast contains spoilers. Press pause and go watch the film before proceeding, if you care. Um, I, I, I don't know. After watching this film, now this by no means is indicative of a positive review. But I feel like if I'm going to die horribly, like if someone murders me, I want Liam Neeson to do it or be there. What? Yeah, like so I feel like be watching someone you, like you. just there. You know, I feel like if, it, if it's going to happen, like it'll like he'll end my suffering in a way that makes me understand. Okay. You, you know, like I mean, it'll just be like you know. Thanks for the party, pal. You know, and like shoot me or something. Like you know, I know that I've mixed heroes there, but you know, like why is he killing you at a party? I don't know, man. Like if it happens, I'm just saying. Like talking about bad guy Liam Neeson. Any no, like I I might be. I might be the bad guy. But he was like good enough to say thank you for the party before he kills you. That's right. Like he'll 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 bring a, a a sense of justice that where you understand what you did wrong and that it's time for you to go. Like, I feel like if I'm a bad guy and I need to get murdered, it should be him. Isn't it more just that if Liam Neeson turns up um, and he's not dressed like a Jedi, you should just assume that he's there to kill you? I think so. Yeah. Um, Or if he doesn't, if he doesn't have a list on him, you know, (laughs) very good at making lists. (laughs) And uh, I feel like uh, there's something else that, Liam perhaps wants to tell us. As I said before, I've got full-blown AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's probably my favourite Liam Neeson moment. It's not in Cold Pursuit. Uh, that's uh, his... The, the, you look it up on YouTube. If you just look up, like, Liam Neeson and Ricky Gervais... Life is short. Uh, yeah, yeah. Life is short. So uh, it, it's a sketch with him uh, doing improv. Um and it's it has to be seen to be believed, um, but a running joke for a long time now has been, as I was saying before, <laughs> I've got full blown AIDS. We should like uh. dissect this for a second, and <laughs> please pause and go and watch it so you can come back for the dissection. Yeah. Um, it's it's hilarious because like we were talking about earlier, the idea that Liam Neeson has been typecast as a very serious actor and he wanted to do action. Yeah. Similarly, comedy. Uh, and this will become relevant when we start talking a bit more about Cold Pursuit. Uh, <clears throat> he has fantastic comedic timing. And even though he's playing, I guess he's, is he kind of playing the straight man in that? But that's also the joke. Yes. Is that he thinks he's really funny, but his delivery is just cold, detached. And he's this. And he, he, he is, he is 
bereft of any humor whatsoever. Yeah, and he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't take notes, which is why my favorite part of that quote is as I was saying before. Yeah, like, he's like they're just giving this note that maybe that's not funny. He's like, okay, yep, let's roll it again. And then he's almost death stares the person who said gave him the note <laughs> as I was saying before. I have full blown AIDS. Yeah, and he escalates the AIDS. Yeah, from yeah, maybe like a I don't know a mild case. To full blonde, <laughs> showing my ignorance here a lot, clearly. <laughs> but yeah, like the joke, just yeah, the joke is not AIDS. The joke, no. the joke is you have to watch it, but expect to hear that clip probably in every podcast until one of us dies. So Katie is in charge of it. Yeah, so <laughs> I guess if I get the button, probably expected more. But yeah, <laughs> Katie's a little bit more discerning than me. Um, yeah, but look, with Cold Pursuit, the first. Act of that film, I was on the edge of my seat. I thought it was incredible. I loved the pacing. I was super into it. And I loved the formula of, you know, I mean, we're not going to do synopsis of the film necessarily here, but, you know, basically Liam Neeson's son is killed. Uh, It looks like a drug overdose, but it turns out it's not. And so Liam Neeson exacts revenge. Um, and he's an upstanding town citizen. He's just one town guy he, of the year. Yeah, or like something. City, like like yeah. And only for cleaning the streets of snow, like yeah, like and, he's a snowplower man. You, and know, you know, like getting cars that are broken down out of trouble. Like yeah, yeah. So like, he doesn't really feel that he earns it. No, no. He's just like this is just my job. But everyone loves him because he's helped everyone and he, he knows everyone. Yeah, he's like a humble working man who's also extremely proficient with a number of deadly weapons for a reason that's not explained. Um, <laughs> but um, the script requires. <laughs> also, he's Liam Neeson. Come on, yeah. I feel like he came with his own weapons. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's the that's the basic gist. But I really loved the formula of each time he picked one of the people off that you know had something to do with his son's murder. Um, we would get like a little a little screen with a a, a headstone on it and the yeah. name and and the and the gang name of the person who died. So you know it'd be like you know scruffy cock forehead, you know, within you know on, on a gravestone. I, that was not one of the characters. I don't think should but, have been could yeah. have been. It's a lot, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah. So and then there's what like was it? scruffy cock forehead. Yeah, like <laughs> you just plucked that out of the thin air. I love that. <laughs> Sh- they were much more. They were much more succinct. Like you should be a name generator. I should. Oh, jeez. Um, what? That's a That's a compliment. That was amazing. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so it really like it was a really cracking pace for that sort of first act, and um, the you know the bad guy is uh, you know you're very uh, slick, corporate, hands off, but you know tons of blood on them, kind of guy um with a a child that's sort of growing up just on the on the fringes of this dreadful world of murderers and drug dealers um and so i really like that setup um and him as a villain because you know extremely rich and powerful versus the snow plowing working man with no, no resources but himself um and nothing to lose so yeah and um it, it moves along at, at a rate that I love to see in an action film because I'm not really, in, in most cases, looking to watch one to have some sort of come-to-Jesus moment where everybody hugs at the end and it's all fine. Like, um, I want to see a, a death toll. I want to see 
revenge happening. I want to see justice served in a way that is not really doable in reality. That's, for me... That's why you go see a revenge movie. That's why you go see a revenge movie. You know, and it's all fictional, so you can like it. In my, in my, yeah, like it's, yeah, like if that same thing happened on the news, like I'd think twice about glorifying. Oh, I'd be okay with it. Oh, yeah. We're talking about a revenge movie against bad bad people. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm okay with that. But still, you know, two wrongs don't make a right and blah, blah, blah. But for a film, it's fine. Sure. Um, You know, and so that's what I want to see. That's what I got for the first act. And then it all shits the bed. I think what you also get in the first act is a tonal promise that is not continued throughout, which it, is this kind of like black comedy. Yeah. Because it's dealing with some dark shit. Yeah. Right? Dark topics, son dead of an overdose for all that they know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Liam Neeson's initial response to dealing with that is a little more mortal for him. Yeah. Uh, but then the story comes to him. But his first kill... I was really hoping that every kill was going to be like that afterwards because it was messy, mm-hmm. but it was funny. Yeah. Uh, almost like apologetic but angry. Mm-hmm. Does the Hollywood choke out kill, quote unquote, where you're like, oh, okay, that person's dead, even though, you know, this would be on one of those Mythbuster shows and be like, it takes a lot longer mm-hmm. to choke someone to death. And then the guy's back, like, alive, he's just passed out. Yeah, yeah. Because so like, it really does take literal minutes to kill someone that way. That's why it's such a horrific thing when someone dies in that fashion because it's not just a Hollywood, like, and they die. Like, Yeah, which is, which, which is good for yeah. his character as yeah. well because he's not a, oh, you didn't know this? He was an ex-Marine, you know, yeah, like, yeah. which is what they usually do with the exposition line when the unassuming fucking anybody mm-hmm. happens to be a ninja you need to have that character explain that. But for him, I mean, everyone's capable of killing someone like yeah. in, in the sense that you can... Humans can kill other humans. Yeah, and yeah. if you have an axe in your hand and you hit someone enough with it, they're going to die. Like mm-hmm. that idea, Yeah, you don't need to be a trained killer to know how to do Stuff. killing. No. Um, so that's fine. But it really set up this idea that the tone of this movie is it's not, it's not really taking itself too seriously. It's also going to be taking the piss out of like why I imagine Liam Neeson signed on was because he was playing against the action yeah. guy, not just the unassuming guy who's leave me alone, which is most of his, how most of his shit starts off. Like mm-hmm. I'm retired or I'm not thinking about killing anybody, whether it's because he's done it a lot in the past and he's got a family now or because he's never thought about it. Yeah. So playing against that typecast of the proficient killer we've cast Liam Neeson is, is funny. Like, it's fourth wall breaking funny. And I thought, yeah. I hoped that that was going to continue throughout the setup with the um, the bad guy, the head honcho who, <clears throat> you know, everything's leading up to. But his relationship with his kid is really kind of funny and endearing. Yeah. He's this guy who's flippantly ordering executions of people, but at the same time is also like, who put this processed food in my fucking son's lunchbox type stuff. Yeah, like... Easy comedy. Yeah. Easy comedy. Yeah. And it's like it hits act two and beyond and they just ditch all of that. There are occasional quips and funny moments. But it, but it's drenched in a, like, a, a murky swamp of, like, conversations that don't need to happen and 
endless meandering with no real action or um, progression of the story other than, oh, this asshole is after us and we don't know who it is. Oh, isn't it this guy? Oh, no, that's the brother. Oh, is it? Oh, we've already, oh, he's, uh, you know. And, like, there are multiple characters that come in that get all of this dialogue that does virtually nothing to uh, progress the story. We learn some little tidbits here and there about um, uh, the, you know, some of the hitmen and drug dealers in the, the, the rich villains gang, you know, and they have like a, you know, jovial relationship and, and love the son who's like a savant with mathematics and statistics. Yeah. Um, so they, world. yeah, so they like use him to get info on what football teams are going to win so that, he can win fantasy football and yeah, stuff like doesn't that. Doesn't go anywhere. Like and yeah, and it's just like okay, that's that's set up with no real payoff. Well, it's like that's lovely. Like that. Oh, they have a heart, and they're, you know, they're not such monsters that they're going to be dangerous to the child in this situation. Like, okay, great. There's at least sort of half an hour spent on the establishment of these relationships in a film that's only like two hours. So yeah. it's way too long. Um, and I realise... It feels that way too long. It feels way too long. That, right? Oh, yeah. And like, but there's just so much where nothing's happening and it's like the only real goal of the whole second act is like who is picking off our people one by one, but that suspense is not sustained. The audience already knows it's Liam Neeson. That's a big problem, isn't it? Yeah, like when the we, audience is in on it. Yeah, and it, and it becomes it's, wasted scene time. Well, it's wasted scene time. Everybody appears, every all of the bad side appears stupid. Yeah, because they're like, oh, God, like who's gonna be next? And they're like, they're all sitting ducks all of a sudden, you know, scrambling. But they've got like in endless resources because they're the drug dealers and gun runners and hitmen, you know, and, and between them, they don't have a brain in their head to do surveillance and <laughs> see who's doing this yeah. shit until like right at the end when it's discovered and they put two and two together and finally understand who it is and who they have to go after. But, you know, by that time he's got the son and we know Liam Neeson's not so bad that he's going to do something to the kid, but like it, that a kidnap happens and then that's the third act and that's really drawn out and it's it's such wasted screen time for something that promised this cracking pace revenge story um and it and it instead becomes oh and then interlaced in all of this is the world's weakest like sea story um with Liam Neeson's wife who is played by Laura Dern Laura Dern is utterly wasted in this film. She has, what, five or six lines in the whole she thing? She would be, by my estimations, and you can help me out with my math, she'd be an E story. So A story is Liam Neeson. Yeah. B story becomes um, the main villain. C story then becomes when the Native Americans get involved. Oh, well, that's D a whole... D story yeah, is, true. is the terrible cops. Yeah. Like... Why are you even here? Like we get that people are dying, cops would be involved, but you could be background. Yep. But they're elevated to having scenes, like exclusive scenes. Uh-huh. Uh, and, then and, and scenes that establish that they're, you know, these cops are clearly concerned with the wrong things in the town because, like, you've got 
the lady cop who's like, they're smoking weed in public, you know, in a legal state. And apparently they're supposed to do that at home. And they're like, oh, is that all you've got to worry about? Don't worry about it. Which is Constable weird. Constable Sheila. Like, She's set up as the stickler yeah. who needs to learn to relax. Yeah. But then she turns out because she's come from a big city that she's better equipped to deal with homicide than they are. But they still have gangs, Mm -hmm. gangs that seem to be very quick to kill people, which means that they would be dealing with homicide. So all it becomes is this: these scenes that introduce more questions as to why it's in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like why? What does this add? Like every scene is supposed to drive the story forward in terms of the protagonist, right? Yep. And you can see in a weird way that what they're thinking is, well, the he's everyone's going to be coming for him technically, right? We're going to have the whatever that initial drug group is, we're going to have the Native Americans once they, if they learn out that it's actually this guy who started all this shit, they're going to want to kill him. We've got the cops coming for him as well. Yeah. But they don't really do that story. No. It just gets to the end and there's a shootout which conveniently brings those two of those people who should be out for Liam Neeson Mm -hmm. more than each other to a shootout that then brings the cops to resolve it. Yeah. And it, the tonal thing is the problem. All of this boredom could be alleviated. This two-hour movie that feels like a a two-and-a-half-hour slog Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be that way. Now, when – I mean, correct me if I'm off base here, but when you're talking about the promise of this movie, this isn't from the trailer or the synopsis. This is from the first act. Yeah, yeah. So they've actually given you 30 minutes Mm -hmm. of them going, we got this, we've got this, here's the tone that you should expect. And what it descends into by the end is – and it's tricky, but it becomes this stark contrast between serious scene, serious moment, comedy bit. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, well, that's how they just cut the trailer is just take the comedy bits and pitch it as a comedy. Yeah. It'd be very easy to cut a very good and compelling trailer for this movie. And I was definitely on board because A, it was Liam Neeson, B, it was a revenge movie. Mm-hmm. And C, it actually looked quite funny uh, because they showed a lot of the – Stuff And I think for once they actually showed a lot of stuff from the first act because that's where it was strongest. Yeah, and, like, without going full, like, Beverly Hills Cop-style, like, action humour, yeah, you know, where, it doesn't it, have to be that. where it's a comedy that has guns and people can get shot and stuff um, and there's lewd jokes and, you know, people say fuck, like, there's that kind of balance of comedy and action, which me personally... Um, I would find that easier to write than something that has to be very serious one moment intersperse the comedy. I mean, striking that tone is a is a very delicate job, in my opinion. And, yeah, um, yeah, 100%. And it, it's not that there are plenty of people that do it really, really well. Um, and like Luke Besson, I would say, is a master. Um, of he's the, on. When he's on, yeah. <laughs> when he's off, yeah. He when he's off, he's fucked. But yeah, like, um, but that, like, it, it's it's a very delicate balance to strike, and it's not easy for even the most amazing writers, let alone newbies or you know people new to the genre that write other stuff or whatever. Um, and then director as well, and actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then it's you oh know, yeah, you and the then script away and its interpretation of a director's yeah. vision versus an actor's idea of how how a line should be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so, like, if it doesn't quite work out in some parts, like I'm absolutely one hundred percent able, 
like to forgive that, but this abandons all comedy for an hour. Like yeah, and then it just comes in, and it's almost like the it, yeah. it is funny, but it's jarring. It's like oh, yeah, that was that was a comedy scene. Yeah, I forgot yeah. that they were doing that. It seemed like they gave up on that. Yeah, 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 and uh, it, it it's difficult to come back from that once it's lost. Um, Especially once they set it up so well. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it, it's it. It's a it's a difficult situation to make comedy out of in the first place, but it's done really well in the in the first half. I mean, at the end of the day, Liam Neeson's character has lost his only child to what is officially a drug overdose, so nobody's looking into it. Yeah, case he, closed. He knows his son's not a drug addict. Doesn't have like, and then everyone goes, "Well, you know, you never really know your kid like when they're out of your sight, do you?" Like, and it, I mean, that's it's a horrible situation. He's grieving to the point where he wants to kill himself because I and think he believes that that lie. Yeah, like, that he doesn't know his son. Yeah, and th- and that it's and that it's his fault. Yeah, because he's and like, he didn't oh, see I, the signs. I was working so hard, or I was away a lot, or I was doing this, and the result was. My son was on drugs and crying out for help, and now he's dead. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, and but they still managed to do it, and then it's—I it, don't know what happened, but it—it it then becomes this drama, basically, like, because there's not a whole lot of not action. Not a very good one, though. Like, no, no, it, and like some people sort of die a bit. You know, like, but you have off-screen deaths as well. Off-screen deaths, like, like kind yeah. of played for comedy with the tombstone yeah. idea, but also the tombstone thing for me felt like a really easy way for um, people, the audience, to not lose track of the many character names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially because the men- there's a big body count in well, this. Well, well, there is, and he's tracking them, sort of, you know, one or you know, one by one, or you know, couple at a time, sort of thing. And they've all, you know, it's like Snake and Legs and Larry and Bobo and, you know, like, and you don't know who the fuck these people are. So Names like it, are thrown around. Yeah, yeah. So As, it, as they should be, like, everyone knows who they are. Yeah, yeah. But the audience is like, I'm up to 20 names now and I'm like... Yeah, who is who? that? Like, have we met them yet? Yeah. Like... Are they dead? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's... um. It's it's an incredibly diffi- uh, difficult balance to strike, but I think it could have been done really well with this film, and it just didn't get there. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to watch the original. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering. Well, that that has a much higher uh, Rotten Tomatoes rating, if that means anything to you. It's also got Stellan Stellan Skarsgård. Is he the dad? Yeah. Yeah, he's the Liam Neeson. Yeah. Character, um, and I think he's a fantastic mm. actor. So, I'm definitely keen to watch it. Yeah. Um. If only because it seems like I would like to think that maybe the original got it right, like they carried the tone yeah, throughout. Yeah. And and I, it's just such a waste because the setup was so awesome. They weren't and trying. This is no. the thing. There was like when you've got obvious delineation between serious scene after setting up a tone of a mix of serious comedy, serious comedy, and then just situations that are funny. You know, and there are moments that come. Potentially later, I'm forgetting the chronology. Apologies, but there's a scene with the the big bad guy in a bath, and his ex-wife comes in, having a go at him because he didn't turn up to some PTA meeting or something, mm. which is hilarious. Like that that idea is hilarious, I should say, but I don't know that they're really playing it too hard for comedy. No, the actors or the director. Um, but that idea that yeah, you're coming in to have a go at him about this PTA thing. Yeah, when there's dudes knocking off his mob and he thinks that there's a, a gang war about to start. 
like what does a PTA meeting mean in the grander scheme of things? But it's also relevant to his character yeah, because yeah. he is so cares so much about his son that you can't even give him the wrong food. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that you can see the potential is there and the DNA of the comedy setup is throughout. I'm thinking also of Liam Neeson's brother and his wife who seems to hate Liam Neeson. Yeah, and like... And it has the, potential for big comedy. The, set, the setup is that she is the stereotypical quote-unquote male-order bride. Yeah. Um, but she is... Um, See again, it's another character that's not explored anywhere near where they probably should have been. So and, too and, many characters, and, and, right? Too many characters, and it would have made it a bit complicated, probably. But um, there's clearly more to her and more to the story. Um, she appears to just kind of hate Liam Neeson because there's a bit of a troubled past with him and the brother, and you know, together they might end up in trouble. But that's not really gone into in depth. I think it. Like my take was that the brother had been caught up in the shit, whereas um, Liam Neeson had kept his nose clean, but he knew his brother was into gang stuff. And so when he arrives after however many years of not seeing his brother, yeah, yeah, uh, the wife assumes that from the past means bad shit coming back. Yeah, because you know, he's retired. The brother's out. Yep. Of the gang stuff, but he's the the contact that knows all the, the nicknames and the mm-hmm. who's at the top and all that sort of stuff. Here's my movie would like to tell you all about Listerine's exciting move into the ocular moisture space. Listerine eye drops provide a cool burn that's guaranteed to get you moving through your day. Out of the way, world. I'm blinded by minty fresh success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Actually, his scene, I'm... I don't know if you if you haven't listened to this podcast before, go watch the movie before <laughs> we can, we go into spoilers. Yeah, yeah. His scene where he's about to die is a uh, an example of one of the few scenes later on that really works. Yeah, yeah. Because he plays it with disdain and he's funny, like the way that he shuts down this guy with just zero disregard and just immediately owns the fact that I'm going to die, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to protect my brother. Yeah. So it's kind of this really noble moment that they could have played for the tears. Yep. But they actually he plays it for comedy, which mm. is great. And yeah. that guy I think is a pretty funny actor as well. I think he's um spaghetti thin dick from um Juice Bigelow. Do you remember that? The, yeah. the guy who's like, just look at my dick. It's like spaghetti thin, man. Just take a look. Spaghetti thin. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that's one of the few <laughs> lines I remember from Juice Bigelow. But I think he's that cop. So he like he's he's got a history of doing comedy stuff and he's in it and when you see him go in a scene I'm like oh okay cool they've they've brought in a a guy who knows how to do comedy yeah uh this should be funny and then you're kind of like oh these initial scenes are a bit dry he's there for the exposition but then he gets his moment and I'm like I can see that he signed on basically for that scene <laughs> yeah yeah cuz he fucking owns it yeah and it's uh, like and he's he's set up and executes his plan as a man with nothing to lose because he's dying anyway. And like, that would have been, I think I would have liked to have seen him earlier. Yeah. Um, and, and the whole thing with Laura Dern, like, I'm not going to get over that. Um, why should you, why was um, she in that movie? Because like, I just, I feel like all she was there to do was, you know, uh, she was like seen like smoking weed while cooking, like in the beginning. So she's sort of, you know, 
set up as someone that may have had a bad influence on the son that's now dead from drugs that didn't really happen. Um, and then that's not – there's no real conflict on that at all except for the fact that she doesn't like that Liam Neeson, you know, post the son dying, you know, their relationship's clearly straining under the obvious immense pressure of their, of their child dying. Um, but, you know – she doesn't like that he's away. She becomes kind of reverting to the nagging wife. Yep. Um, Skylar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Breaking bad. Yeah, and um, while I'm sure in a situation of great strain like that, some nagging is completely plausible. Sure. Um, but that's all her character amounts to. But that's it, yeah. And she off-screen leaves. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. that scene is actually pretty funny, but it's first act. Like she leaves a note, a card, and he opens it, and it's just blank. Yeah, <laughs> like she's got nothing to say to him, which is like dark comedy. It's dark comedy, and but it's, it's a, not really her joke. It's a great metaphor, but we like she's got nothing to do with it. She's funny as that's well. A, right? That's a she's script done comedy note before, right? Oh yeah. Like a, there was an HBO one that the name eludes me that I've been meaning to watch. But anyways, yeah. So again, they've got an, an actor who can do comedy. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, okay, right. They've set up the idea that they're going to do comedy. We've got an actor who can do comedy. And then they disappear. And the more you get into the movie, you're like, she's not coming back, is she? No. But they talk about her, but she's She's gone. gone, yeah. And, I mean, that's fucked. I mean, here's my movie. Really, the crux of everything that I would change hinges on keeping her in the story as a main supporting role. Um, where she's let in on why he's away, why he's being mysterious, why he's never home much earlier on. Um, evidence is presented to her that the, the kid didn't die from a drug overdose that was his fault. Like he may have been pumped full of heroin and left to die, but it wasn't him that did it. You know, there's a gang involved, something bad's gone down. I've already killed three people. This is it leave now you're in danger and she goes no fuck no i'm gonna help you yeah you know and it doesn't have to be then again the buddy cop like you know true lies boris and doris set up but like uh, she could play a role in keeping him alive and in pursuit of in cold pursuit of Hot justice. Hot justice, <laughs> yeah. Simple. Yeah, like she – that would have um, fulfilled her as more than this one-liner nagging side character that disappears partway through Act 2. Yeah, but I actually would – like on your idea, and it's not mine, um, I would really like to see the buddy cop thing even because what you get then is if they're going out together – trying to figure out how to kill people. Yeah. Then you get the organically funny dialogue of two people who've never been killers before. Yeah. Having to talk about how to kill someone, making fourth wall breaking jokes about like, would you see that in a movie type thing? Yeah, like, yeah. And then going, well, what does it work? Like, Well, yeah, and it also adds an element that like, this is not, this is just a note that I've written down when I watched it, but it's, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a great... Yes, you are. Believe, I'm a great believer in suspending disbelief for films so that, you know, you're not watching, you know, fucking Man of Steel and going, journalists can't fly, you know. 
Yes, we can. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you've got to, you know, lend a bit of suspension of disbelief to certain aspects of the thing. But, like, Liam Neeson is is in a sm- in what we are believed to be a small town or, you know, a, yeah, s- a small part it's of... it's cut off, it's remote. It's, it's cut off and remote. There is a larger township that has a, a shopping centre and a mall and all of that kind of stuff. Um that he clearly travels to to get one of his uh, the people on his list, his shitless no, um, his, his shitless list, <laughs> his, his shit list, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Uh, and we're not afraid to go dark without comedy. Uh, yeah, fucking hell. Um, so I mean, I'm assuming that the population there is bigger, but he literally blows someone away with Uzis in a bridal shop in a, yeah. in, a in a shopping mall with like Victoria's Secret and a Taco Bell. You know, Which like is this dumb. is that they, they put chain stores in locations that are fairly densely populated. No, but the fact like, that he shoots someone. Yeah, yeah, but and he shoots it and it's in all, broad daylight. Yeah, yeah, and after people have witnessed. Yep. Him. Coming in. Yeah, and, and like shopping centres are full of cameras. Like, and then they've introduced the cops, but no cop explores that idea. No, and like, who was there earlier. And there's no like, oh, there was a mysterious man in a long overcoat with two Uzis yeah. that came into Which a bridal shop. You don't want shop. them to explore in this type of movie, but you, you when they set it up and you're like, oh, that's going to come back to, okay, no, nothing. Well, yeah, but it, it can even be a line. Like, it's like we saw the footage in the shopping mall. We know it was you. Like, you know, like it doesn't, we don't have to fucking lay it on thick, but- it's set up to be that way, and it's just like so. One of the lines that I actually wrote down was, "Who the fuck is cleaning up after all these murders?" And that was like something that I wrote after the first act, and it didn't detract from my enjoyment of the first act. But like Laura Dern should like when she's introduced, like she's fucking part of the cleanup crew. Like she's introducing this element of we're getting what are we doing to get rid of this shit? And he's yeah. like, "Oh fuck, I haven't <clears throat> thought of that." But he's already like blown away several people and I get that he's got nothing to lose so he doesn't really care if he goes down for it and he's just trying to kill as many people as he can to get as close as he can to the people that are responsible you know and if he gets killed in the process or taken huh um it's by nice. the cops taken yeah yeah <laughs> then um so be it so and that's kind of how it's set up and that's totally plausible um but that can but, even become a tension point yeah like he can say I don't care. I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. And she's like, what about me, dipshit? Like, exactly. so mending their relationship at the same time. Yeah. And then she's like, I think we can take them all type thing. And yeah. she helps to escalate it. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, that, that makes it a totally different movie, I'm assuming, to In Order of Disappearance. So it will be interesting to see how they originally executed all of this. Um, but I, I, it, it, it transforms the movie fairly significantly. But... Uh, Laura Dern can pull that off, in my opinion. Yeah, why do you hire Laura Dern to have a one-day yeah. role? They yeah. literally would have shot, shot her, shot her shit in a day, day yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess if you want a name on the poster or whatever or she owes you a favour or something, but yeah. <laughs> she could have done so much more. Yeah. And it was kind of squandered. Yeah. I think, yeah. So uh, anyway, that's my big change for the film because I think that dramatically changes Act 2 and the resolution. Not, not so much the resolution, but... Um, I think gives a more satisfying uh, resolution than what we got. It also becomes a lot more interesting when you get to the topic of kidnapping kids. Mm, yeah. He doesn't really explored Like, he does it to get to the main bad guy. And he doesn't do anything bad to the kid. Like, he's... No. But he does in the sense that he kidnaps a yeah. child. But 
he doesn't like beat up the kid or do something like that. No, but like, yeah, but they could have played that. Yeah, like that. They could have played with the tension of, you know, for anyone who's seen American Psycho, where he's uh, goes on a date with his receptionist and then she's talking about her life and whatever and he walks up behind her and puts a nail gun to her head mm. but doesn't fire it. Like, they could be doing that sort of background comedy. Yes, dark, but, like, he's kidnapped him and it's the implication of how far are you willing to go yeah. to get what you want? Yep. Are you willing to hurt this kid? Are you willing to kill this kid? And ultimately the answer should be no yeah. in a comedy. Mm-hmm. We don't need to have a really dark moment where a kid's body or a body part rocks up with dad. Yeah. But you're still going to show that tension. I think the problem is that um, Neeson hasn't really got that much to work with in terms of comedy, so it's more played as brooding in the latter half, whereas if he has someone to play off, yeah, then all of that internalised stuff that he's emoting through his dreamy eyes yeah. can become dialogue mm-hmm. and that's where you get the funny from. Yeah. So you wouldn't change anything else? I mean, no pressure if you don't want to. I think that's a fantastic change, by the way. I'm excited about that idea. Yeah, look, I, that's my main change. Um, I probably would have, like, just as many kills, but we don't have to have these drawn-out scenes where we get introductions to everyone who's bad. I mean, a big sprawling drug network gang. I'm like, there's not five people running it. Like, it's not the fucking Alaskan drug gang startup. Like, yeah. Like, I'm sure there's lots of people involved of varying degrees of, you know, evil. But we don't need to know their whole fucking life story and how they interact with others and how far up the chain they are no. and who knows the boss. Like, it's like, you're involved. Do you know my son? Yeah. Bang. They're fuck just off. stepping stones. Yeah. Like it's, I, I think that too much time was spent giving them a voice when we, we understand that they're bad. They're in the gang. They were in the orbit of a kid who died un, unjustly. Yeah, they're on the wrong team. Yeah, bang bang. It's like soldiers. And then spend and then spend the, you know and uh, you can still have the characterization with a couple of the main crew members and you know the very smart kid you know and the the dad who's you, you know has a dual concern of his kid's health and wellness versus running a criminal gang operation. I think it's better if the kid's not likable. Yeah. Especially if he's going to have to kidnap him yeah. and think about how far he's willing to take it. Like, if you make a really annoying asshole kid, yeah. you're like, oh, I kind of want to see this kid eat shit. <laughs> As an audience member, you know, which you know is wrong, but, like, that's the sort of comedy yeah. they're tapping into at the beginning. And I think that when the first kill is strangulation and quite funny, and I'm pretty sure it's the second kill is in the bridal shop, right? Yeah. And he just shoots him. It's like you just ran out of inventive ways to kill people. Not that strangling is inventive, but the way that they depict it with the the comedy beat yeah. is what makes it unique. Yeah. So he just walks in and, and now he shoots someone and you're like, you just went from choking to shooting. Like you didn't think of a of a funny way that this every man would think, what? how can I kill someone and get away with it? Like maybe he convinces him to go into a, a changing room to help him with a tuxedo and yeah. He tries to choke him again and it doesn't really work, so he has to kill him in another way. But you could beat him to death with a mannequin head. I don't know, just something that is different mm. and, and remembering at its core for the tone, we're trying to make people laugh. Yep. 
even if they feel bad about themselves for laughing at messed up shit. Mm-hmm. That's what the first act sets up. Yep. So for my movie, it would be tonal consistency throughout. Yeah. No, absolutely. And at least try. Try to make it a joke. Not every joke is going to land. No. So if you do a kill that ends up making people go, oh, and, and screamish more than funny, that's fine. At least you tried to make it funny mm-hmm. in some way. If it doesn't end up being the result, at least you can. someone can go, oh, I can, but I can see that they're still trying to be funny mm. and that's what I should expect from the kills as opposed to gunning dude down in bridal store mm. and then just moving on to the next one mm. and it's completely fine. But he, he goes missing, but, yeah, nobody cleans up the blood or the bullet holes. No, no. Nobody heard the gunshots. And, and like, he just walks out of the shop like he's bought a cummerbund. Which is like, which is fine for his character at that stage that he's just killed someone, but yeah. not fine for a character who's walked out of a place that has had gunshots and anyone who walked in afterwards or looked in afterwards would see a dead body and blood. And, and, uh, and a row holes. of white dresses the other guy soaked in blood. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It absolutely, like, why introduce kills in a way that creates um, loose uh, ends for the audience members who care about that stuff? Yeah, and look, it, look like, honestly, it, it didn't bother me to the point where I thought the film fell apart. Like, I, I don't think we... No, like, no, no. You can't look it's at action... Kind of movie. You can't look at action it's films like that because it's like, well, duh. Yeah, like, you get angry at Of course you that, can't right? go shoot up a nightclub full of drug dealers and like go home and sleep in your bed that night and expect that someone didn't see you. Like, <laughs> you know, like oh, clearly not, but it's... Um, it's not that genre of movie. It's not that genre of movie, but I think that, you know, there are a lot of loose ends that can possibly make for a new dimension to that film, you know, with with Laura Dern's character or, um, or at least mention it in a way that gives him an element of, like, I really don't give a fuck. I'm just getting a body count. While I can. Yeah. And I, I really yeah. like the Laura Dern idea. I mean, that wasn't um, in in my thing, it, although definitely a note of being it weird that she just was there and disappeared. I think for me what was missing in terms of an emotional through line, which is hilarious because I've been talking about the comedy problems, but was that the movie is ultimately about this guy trying to connect with his son and his mm. son's dead. Yep. So how do you connect with your son after death? And then, But these days you can, you know, so you look at things like going onto Facebook, looking at internet, browser history and you can have a dad discovering weird and wonderful porn or or maybe his son has a you know in terms of the action movie stuff maybe his son is obsessed with action movies and he never knew that so he starts watching or or these kinds of like procedural cop dramas so Mm. he gets inspiration from his dead son's movie or tv show taste that leads to him investigating or, or getting inspired on how to kill people so his son is informing his murders yeah. beyond the grave, but he's also getting to connect with his son in this weird kind of twisted way. I would definitely filter some of that yep. through it. But I guess the big change um, structurally, I mean, get rid of the cops. Yeah. And keep them as background. Keep them as like you've got to have cops caring about stuff because otherwise people will be like, where are the cops in this town, right? Yeah, but like a vigilante killing um, like known members of the same gang – like, you know, you see in like old films, you go, you're out of your jurisdiction. They're fucking out of their jurisdiction. Yeah. Like this is a fed level thing. They kind of set that up. They do, yeah. So you either have that where you get rid of the cops because of the character bloat, but there's no problem with character bloat if there's comedy, right? Yeah. 
we wouldn't be sitting here ripping apart the structure if it was funny the whole way through. No. Because we'd be going, we laughed a lot. Yeah. And yeah, there's problems. It's not a five out of five, but there was a lot of fun. Mm. So if you're going to keep the cops, if you're going to keep the ABCD story that I identified earlier, what I would change, um, which I guess wouldn't really change that much in terms of how it ultimately plays out, but is that everyone's looking for a patsy, right? Yeah. He's just there to kill because he needs to... He feels like he's failed his son, revenge. Doesn't really require any further explanation that they killed my son, therefore yeah. I'm killing them, right? We don't need to have a half-hour monologue exposition about why Liam Neeson is killing. No. But when he starts killing, it presents opportunities, right? So for the cops, it presents an opportunity that someone is wiping out this known drug presence in their town. So maybe you can have that old cop, new young cop dynamic, but the dynamic now becomes the old cop presents as incompetent but really he's kind of sweeping it under the rug yeah. because they're doing shit that they can't do and maybe at some point even learns that it's Liam Neeson and just doesn't care. Wasn't Won't help but doesn't care. Mm. And then you have the drug main drug family looking for a reason to break the truce with the Native Americans Yeah, and their guys start rocking up dead. So he's like, right, so he does that. But the Native Americans are also looking for a reason to – to break the truce as well. Well, they're looking for a reason to escalate and it's righteous So he as presents well, that. Yeah. So they get lost in this uh, conflict, which happens anyway. But again, it's playing it for comedy. It's this thing of like, who's on first, what's on second, what? Like idea of like, <laughs> yeah. he just gets to kill his way through these people using him as a patsy because that's all he wants and they're trying to use him. But the more that they use him, the more they're not focusing on him and he still gets to just keep killing his way. Even if they don't know who he is, bodies yeah. rock up. And so instead of having that point of saying, like, why aren't they investigating into who's actually doing the killing, mm. the lead guy goes, I don't care. I, I don't care. Let's use this. This is an opportunity. Yeah. And then as more start dying, maybe he goes, okay, I should probably start caring about this mm. and looks into it. But, like, the idea that everyone in this sleepy town, even the drug dealers, are looking for a way to expand or whatever. Yeah. Like, they're looking for something different and this death – leads into a cascading effect that presents opportunities mm. that weren't there before. Yep. I changed that. I changed the relationship with the the father and the son, the the drug lord guy yeah. and his son. I would make him that so that sort of still like I'm so super worried about this kid's health and his education and all that stuff. So he presents as a very good parent, but he's also like teaching his son the trade of the family business. Yeah, right. And so, like, he's okay with you swearing around his kid, but you can't really talk about killing or something like that. So mm. his son's there for business meetings, but then you yeah. know, when you have that scene with the assassin who Liam Neeson pays to kill him, but then he just goes straight to the guy and says, he's paid me, why don't you pay me more? When it starts to lead to, like, we're going to kill him, it's sort of like that idea from old school where uh, Vince Vaughn tells his kid earmuffs to swear around him. Yeah. You have like, I don't know, like shades or something and he has to cover his eyes so he can't see it, but he can hear it or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. So that's what makes this kid a bit twisted. So when he finally gets kidnapped, either he's a mad asshole yeah. or he's clearly more in the know about what's going on. Like he's not this little, it's not the innocence play. Like the kid's a kid. He's going to get the innocence play anyway. It's like this kid knows what's up. Yeah. Oh, you want to get to my dad? Yeah, well, you're doing it all wrong. And maybe he, through bragging about his knowledge, gives Liam Neeson the insights into how to get to his dad. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, well, how would you do it then, you little smartass? Like, again, just 
how do we play this for comedy should be the overriding um, scene. Yeah. Like write a scene, set up a scene, go, that sounds really cool. That works in the plot. That works for characterization and an arc. Now, does it play for comedy? Yeah. If the answer is no, then it goes or it gets rewritten. How do we change it so that it does? Yeah. And I mean, those are some more major tweaks, I guess, than what it's not a simple fix. It's not like a recast or whatever. Mm. But I think for me, that is how you could maintain the comedy throughout. Not so, It's very easy for me to go, keep the tonal consistency from the first act with the mix of the darkness and the black, the black comedy. That's how I would achieve it. Playing everyone against each other, which is kind of funny. Yeah. You know, they're all like, oh, we don't care. And then it escalates and it escalates. And Make sure that when he kills, he kills messily, mm. but also funny. Have the person, you know, the, I don't know if you've heard about it, Like people tend to shit and piss themselves when they die. Yeah. So put that in. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, like me when it comes to bad smells, he's dry retching and he's trying to deal with <laughs> killing this dude, pissing himself or shitting himself, and, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Funny. Yeah. How do you make killing funny? Yeah. That's coming from someone, this is going to sound really weird, and maybe this is a movie that I'll get to tell you about someday. It's one of the scripts that I'm working on. Uh, the first draft is done, the second draft stage at some point. But never, ever look at a writer's search history. Oh, no. Because as part of this story, and it's going to sound really weird, and again, I hope one day I get to tell you all about it, but I had to Google funny ways to kill yourself. Yeah. And- I felt fucking dirty. Yeah, yeah. But it was similar tone, you know, the idea of how do you mix darkness and comedy and because if you're playing the overall tone for comedy yep. and you happen to have something dark like suicide or, you know, revenge murder as in the case of Cold Pursuit, you have to find a way to go back to it. Otherwise yeah. it's going to feel jarring and if it feels jarring for you and you might have written a, a dramatically beautiful scene mm. but it feels out of place – because that's not what people came to see this movie for. Yeah. I did not go into Cold Pursuit wanting to watch um, the normal Liam Neeson revenge movie, even though I would watch it anyway because I can find three out of five star satisfaction in the most basic Liam Neeson revenge story premise, including the plane one, which I've forgotten the name of, and the, and the, and the train one, which, which is the commuter. The, the, the plane one, the train one. The, tra- the plane <laughs> one, the train one, and the The, or- one. the automobile one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because they are not the kind of – they're not at that level where you say, oh, my God, you've got to watch it again. You've never seen, you know, Taken. You've got to see Taken. Just watch the first one type thing. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not essential viewing. No. It's like, oh, did you see that? No. Oh, yeah, it's okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're perfectly <laughs> functional three-star movies, and that's fine. It doesn't have to be that. But Cold Pursuit looked like it was doing it uh, from the trailers. Yeah. And then from the first half hour, I'm like – they're doing it. And to the point where I may have said it to you or I may have just thought it because the reviews were quite middling. Yeah. I was like, what is wrong with these people? How wrong can it go mm. after this point with such a good setup? And it's not like it nosedives and explodes. It's still perfectly functional. No, it's just boring. Yeah, but it loses like that edge. It becomes a talking head drama. like Which is not what... It no. had set up. Well, no, and the like the dialogue's not good enough no. to carry that, in my opinion. And then again, they're not thinking about yeah. where's the comedy in this thing. Yeah. It's supposed to be a comedy. Mm. Yes, a black comedy, it's dark. Yeah. But it's at its core, if you made that movie funny, you get to see Liam Neeson, like, you know, as we talked about with the Ricky Gervais skit. Wait, he has something to say. As I said before, I've got full blown AIDS. 
Still has AIDS. As you heard. <laughs> um, the guy <laughs> can do comedy. The guy gets comedy because that's an example of like, you know, him going, I'm not going to be funny, but by being not funny, I am funny type thing. You know what I mean? But he, he dedicates to it and it, it is hilarious. He is the funniest part of that scene in a scene that includes, you know, Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais, who are two incredibly funny comedians. Yep. They are happy to play backseat to Liam Neeson, who, as far as I'm aware, please tweet at me, write at me um, if, I, if I'm missing anything, but he hasn't really done that before. No. He's not known as a comedy guy. No. I don't really know that he's got to flex his comedic chops in the past, which is what makes that skit so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's um, it, it shows, I think, impeccable self-awareness in that moment. Like he knows exactly what his reputation is and plays it to hysterical end. Like, yeah, like, and unlike yeah. something like a cameo in Entourage yeah. where, I don't know about you, but having watched it and had conversations like or, or thoughts about the idea of do you think they're really like that in real life? And sometimes they play mm. over the top farcical, yep. but sometimes it's like they're playing close to what you could imagine that actor is like in real life that you're like, I can see that as yeah. opposed to Liam Neeson where you're like, this is clearly a piss take. Mm-hmm. I'm not actually sitting here going, oh, yeah, he's probably really deadpan in real life and he loves making lists, right? Like <laughs> everyone is in on the joke, right? Yeah. <laughs> the reason that we had to wait for the the Blu-ray release is because it actually wasn't playing in cinemas near us. Well, no, also yeah. I'm not sure if we've said this on the show before, Katie and I – you know, we're, we're not even up to 10 episodes. We're still having discussions after each episode about format changes or potential format changes. And yeah. Things that we like and things we'd like to improve. And I think um, one of the things we talked about was there was a feedback we got very early on was the first two episodes we did were uh, for movies that were new. They were at the cinema. Yeah. Which gave people the option to go see it, but it also, to use a, a gaming term, it created a barrier of entry that was not ideal. So we've talked about the idea now of, well, yes, Cold Pursuit is not this kind of older movie that we've been doing for a while now. We did a you did a string of older movies except for Truth or Dare, but if you've listened to that episode, you know why we did that. Um, <clears throat> but it's not so much that we're always going to do older movies, but what we've decided at this point is to only do new movie, quote, unquote, after its hit home release. Yeah. So that means it's more accessible. To people, it also means there's a better chance that you might have either seen it at the cinemas or if you're interested, you can go and get it, download it digitally, you know, buy it at a... On, yeah, on it might Disney. be on Netflix or whatever. Like, might be on Netflix, yeah. might be on Freeware, whatever. Like there's a better chance that you can watch it because, you know, we're, we're doing this on a, on a case-by-case basis. We've got a list of something like 70 movies. We've now got uh, friends of the podcast suggesting movies that they would like to see that we're adding to the list. Please let us know what you would like to see done. Now, the disclaimer within that, we're not going to do every movie that's suggested. No. We've talked very early on in the episodes about there are certain movies that I don't think would be a good fit because we love them. Or maybe, you know, we so hate them that, I mean, we watched Hellboy. Oh, recently. my God. Okay, so that maybe is worthy of an episode. But, but is it? No, well. What would you change about it? I wouldn't make it. I, I, what would what I change about it? it? Absolutely fucking everything. It was terrible, top to bottom. But like, <laughs> so like that might make a good episode or it might make a terrible episode because mm. really it would just be a lot of us ragging on a movie 
And then our suggestions would be to change everything or to, in my instance, to say, don't make it. Like, don't make that movie. Yeah. Let Guillermo del Toro make Hellboy 3 with Ron Perlman. If you want to make a Hellboy movie, the end. Yep. And see if that gets bites. And if it doesn't, like this one didn't, then the series is dead. But it's weird how Hollywood keeps coming back to things that have not been financially successful. Yeah. I think they're rebooting Power Rangers again. Again. Yeah, and it's a reboot of a reboot because, I mean, to my knowledge, this hasn't sort of been a children's TV show since the very early 2000s. Have they brought it back? I mean, is this going back to our original discussion yeah. about G.I. Joe or Transformers? Is it now a thing again? I don't know. Honestly, don't know. Yeah. But they, they obviously see... There's something in it to the point of like from because I, I, yeah I don't know that like it's a, does a 15 year old these days like do they know what a fucking Power Ranger is like well they do because of failed movies right yeah if they because like I remember rushing home from school to watch the show do, 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 yeah, do, do. yeah yeah like I I loved it Never I loved it oh you know did the theme yeah right okay uh yeah I used to love the show as a kid but I'm sure watching it now would be like eye bleedingly bad because it was like I could tell it was shitty when I was a kid so it didn't stop my enjoyment of it but you know so yeah, cause but, watch a lot of shit but, as kids yeah and like I but I don't imagine like if they put the original series on Netflix or whatever maybe they have I don't know but like I don't imagine that it's this it's binge watchy sort of cult following thing or maybe it is, but it would be very surprising. Yeah, but that's to the me. thing. It's someone with a brand trying to to make it a thing again. You know that line about it's not a thing anymore. The yeah. 1990s called, and they want their Power Rangers back. Like yeah. it's that they're trying to make it relevant again because everyone's cash grabbing. But from video game land, we still haven't had a good video game to movie adaptation. Well, sorry, we haven't had an amazing one. Uh, we haven't had our Citizen Kane. I think the best so far is Resident Evil, original Resident Evil. No, you're actually wrong there. Ah. Ah, be Silent Hill. I would say Silent Hill is the second for me, but probably Resident Evil for me. But I'm not that familiar with Resident Evil, therefore I enjoyed it. Come on, man. As a movie. <laughs> anyway, Resident Evil is really good. They made a Hitman movie with Timothy Oliphant. It was average as fuck. What was that other one? They made a Hitman movie with some dude out of Homeland. It was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. That was the most recent one, right? And now they're making a Hitman TV show. I don't... It feels like that, you know. But the whole thing is that he's like this remote, like nothing manufactured killer. Like he's not terribly interesting Hitman other, does other not than he's- It lead a, itself to a movie. It doesn't because he's <laughs> he's an empty vessel that just kills. He's a clone yeah. assassin. <laughs> what would make an interesting movie that they would never make because it's an anti-action yeah. movie is- the way that the freakishly good hitman players play that play those games. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is his whole thing is he's an assassin who in its purest form and what the game ultimately pushes you towards though it doesn't technically really if you want to play it as an, a proper assassin or as an assassin that you're familiar with from movies which is to shoot everyone, you can do that. Um, but what it pushes you towards and aspirationally or for the people that actually love their stealth games is to make every hit look like an assassination. Oh, sorry, mm -hmm. look like an accident. Every kill accidental and no collateral damage. That's what gets you the most points in the older, better, whatever games. Mm -hmm. Maybe the newer ones too, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I haven't really played them. But uh, 
that would make an interesting thing. And they actually, in the trailers for the latest movie, the last movie, which was a garbage fire, I thought they set that up because it's very easy to cut together a trailer, as we talked about previously. Mm-hmm. And the trailer actually looked interesting because they were talking about the myth. There's a rumour, there's the myth of this assassin who kills people and makes them look like accidents. Like, oh, cool, they're going to do that. And then it descended into a shit superhero story. Yeah. For no reason with that daughter out of Boss who was a fantastic actor in Boss and was just terrible, like everyone else in that, who has been great. Well, it's not even that she was – well, actually, she was terrible. I don't know what happened to her acting chops in that film. But was it like – it becomes that thing of, you know, when the Star Wars prequels suck, but we've got, you know, Academy Award winner – what's her name? Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman, thank you. We've got Hugh McGregor, consistently amazing. What, Liam Um, Neeson? Liam Neeson. But he is amazing in that. So you've got these actors who, for the most part, or a lot of the part, individually you can go, I have genuinely enjoyed their acting in one or multiple examples. Mm -hmm. But they sucked in this movie. What could be the problem? And there's one consistent person. Mm -hmm. You can, I think, at certain points, blame the director. Mm over an actor. Um, but yeah. sometimes actors just phone it in. Well, yeah, and if it's like... Even the greats, Marlon Brando. Oh, yeah, God. What was yeah. that? Apocalypse Now, wasn't it? Cop- yeah, Apocalypse Now, he's not that great. He phones that the fuck in. Yeah. My God. Yeah. And Superman, I think, as well, from memory. Mm. Kind of stopped caring. Yeah, but um, like if you look at Streetcar, like Streetcar Named Desire, that's like... My favourite Marlon Brando. That's where he cares. And, well, yeah. Godfather for me, but I really haven't watched so much Brando. Yeah. But he's fucking amazing in that. Streetcar Named Desire is a very, it's a, it's probably my favourite play. Oh, okay. Um, so perhaps I'm looking at it with, you know, rose-tinted glasses. But No, I think that's for the me, opposite it's, usually, isn't it? When, yeah. uh, when something gets adapted, usually people go, oh, the original's better or the, the play's better or whatever, so... If anything, that's a compliment to the movie if you actually really enjoy it. Well, yeah, like he plays Stan, who is a, a, a drunken, abusive husband. Right. And he plays him in such a way that you are able to conjure a shred of sympathy for him. And he's a he is probably the most unsympathetic character. Yeah. That's a main character that I can think of. That's acting chops though, right? Yeah. When someone can do that. Yeah. Like you must love it hypothetical person or hypothetical screenwriter mm. when you've written a character and you're like this is just there as a two-dimensional villain or whatever and they yeah. they get like a Sigourney Weaver or something you're like oh my god yeah yeah this yeah. is gonna make me look good yeah yeah totally. someone like Ian McKellen who like no other actor that I can think of acts so amazingly with their eyes oh yeah motively which is a, another YouTube video that I saw um, or someone like uh, Anthony Hopkins who can do utter trash, mm-hmm. but then when he's in Westworld and I watched a particular dissection of a scene of why it was so amazing, mm. and I already thought that scene was amazing, watching it once going like, he's so good. Yeah. Then you watch the breakdown and you watch the, he's given you three emotional beats in this one reaction and you're like, oh my God, I can see that. Like this is not that, you know, the wine tasting. Yeah. You'll get notes of um, cat hair and sulfur and yeah. <laughs> what it tastes to feel like playfully dancing across the sand on a summer's day. And you're like, it just tastes like plonk, fucker. You know, that's what it's like doing a wine tour with any of my friends. You'll taste raspberry and 
a hint of chamomile. If you gargle it for three seconds, but no longer. Yeah, this is like, just tastes like wine, can't. Yeah. Like, yeah that's, that's how it should that's be. Every single one of our friends. Yep. Yeah. But like, I can taste <laughs> certain things in a, you know, in it, but I can't taste the, the 15 notes it claims to have. It's just like they add it. Oh, yeah, add wood, add charcoal, add raspberries. Good. You know that I saw one that actually, oh, you may have been there actually. Were you there for the wine that we tasted where one of the notes was cigar box? Yeah. Not the cigar. The box. The box. And that's that's the perfect <laughs> example of either so much wankery that they haven't really thought about it or yeah. has someone licked a cigar box? And I can't and identify more- this note. It's cigar box. They're like the the. Uh, I was going to say the the Rain Man, but not the Rain Man. The Sherlock Holmes kind of the same. Well, no. Of like you know, because what was his thing of like tasting all the different tobaccos? Yeah. I smoked 180 forms of tobacco. I know what they all. This is Afghan to you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's just like, but they're they're not. It's the Emperor's new clothes of wine. It is where everyone's 100%. like, oh yes, I can definitely taste the cigar yeah. box. Oh, you don't get that? <laughs> well, well, laugh at them. Yeah. No, it's not there. Yeah. It's not. But yeah, sorry, I di- I digress. I don't even like wine, really. I like really wine. fucking take red it wine. or leave it. Red wine's fine. You don't like red wine? It, I'll drink it. Why do we have so many bottles of it? Because I won't drink it. Because I won't. I shan't. I shan't. No, you can't force I just, me I just, to. Yeah, I just don't care. Like I'll drink it if it's there. Whatever. All right, let's drink some red wine. All right. And we've just cracked a bottle of it. No, we haven't. We haven't at all. Um. All right, well, we'd like to thank you for joining us for another episode of Here's My Movie. Next time on Here's My Movie. <laughs> the next episode will be a another Liam Neeson film. We're actually going to do The Grey. Yes. We're going to do The Grey, yeah. Um, it's definitely, like, ripe for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, So if you'd like to join us and watch that, um, we will get that episode out to you ASAP. Sickness pending. um, ASAP, I love that. uh, Weekly. We're going to try to get it out as frequently as possible. For now, you know, uh, we'll we'll pledge to one a month for now. For now, but... But Sickness pending, we will will catch up. And, like, my aim is weekly because I know that's how you make a podcast that people want to listen to. It is not from want Um, of trying. No, um, and I will try not to sneeze on into Nathan's mouth and make him sick. She does it when I'm asleep. Yeah, I do it. I've seen the footage. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, anyway, we'd like to thank you very much. If you'd like to get in touch, go to heresmymovie.com. All of the socials are there and uh, links to where you can listen to us on your favourite podcasting app, which you are undoubtedly doing right now if you're hearing me say this. Um, And, yeah, go to anchor.fm forward slash heresmymovie if you'd like to leave us a voice message. Until then, toodle-oo. We'd like to thank our friends of the podcast, Movie Weekly. Hey, Uh, Movie Weekly, yes. The leader of which is the fantastic Raymond Bannerman, who designed our banner and our art, Yes, um, which we think is- He is a true banner man. Fantastic. We'd like to also give a nod to The Gap, yes, which is a gaming podcast that I am occasionally on. Um, They talk a lot about games. You should go there to listen about games. You should come here to listen about movies. In fact, if you want to hear me talk a little bit about games and movies, you can tune in to- what I believe is still the most recent uh, episode of the IGN podcast, the Australian version. Nice. I'm on that talking about movies. There's a little pimp for this at the end, so maybe you've come across from there. If you have, welcome. It's great to have you. Well, you yeah. have to listen to the last seven. Seven? Now, yeah, required listening. 
essential because yeah. if you don't, you're going to miss out on stuff in episode nine. We definitely always do callbacks. There's cryptic clues. Yeah, yeah. This is the, uh, you know, Seinfeld of uh, podcasts with callbacks in season seven to season two. No, not really. Um, all right. But thank you very much again for listening and we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye. As I said before, I've got full blown AIDS.